and welcome to the World as We Know It podcast. I'm Brad. I'm Kiki. And today we're going to be talking about the country of Afghanistan. Or Afghanistan. It can be pronounced several different ways depending on your locality, as we've learned. We've learned a great many things. And so what I'm first going to do is give you an at-glance look at the country itself. It's a landlocked country in the Middle East. It's quite large. It's bordered to the south by Pakistan and Iran, to the north by the Stan countries and a tiny bit to the east, it borders China. Um, the climate varies from fertile plainlands to arid mountain ranges. And the temperature actually goes from very, very hot to very cold as well. And so a person from Afghanistan is called an Afghan. An Afghan is a historical term for a Pashtun, but the two today are not really considered synonymous. And as far as the etymology of the name itself goes, the suffix stan means place of in Persian. Therefore, Afghanistan means the place of the Afghans. And a little thing we'd like to introduce before we start talking about a country is kind of our familiarity rating. How will we rate ourselves as far as knowing about this country before we started our research? And at the end of the podcast, we'll tell you how we rated ourselves after all the research and the discussion. Personally, I would give myself a familiarity rating of a 3 out of 10 for Afghanistan, mainly because, you know, as a U.S. citizen, my perspective of the country has been totally defined by the terrorist attacks of, of September 11, 2001, and growing up in a country that had a definite political ideology that saw Afghanistan as a country we're at war with. Um, and so there's a lot there that, you know, I had to unpack and learn and uncover myself. Kiki, what about you? So, like, yeah, we both grew up as millennials, and we both grew up with a very um, negative media bias against countries in the Middle East. Totally. Um, and that really did shape our perspectives. I would say that I've read, like, the books of Khaled Husseini, who, read, who wrote The Kite Runner, A Thousand Splendid Sons, and the third one, which name I forget right now. And that really did help to get me past that initial negative media bias and what we see immediately, because he goes really into some of the more cultural aspects and the history of these countries. But, of course, that is fiction. So I feel like my familiarity, familiar, familiarity rating... There you go. <laughs> I got it, eventually. Um, it was maybe, like, a 3 out of 10... Um, but again, that might be inflating a little bit, it might be, you know, knocking myself back a little bit. Um, but the, the effort of this podcast is to learn more. So we're going to, we're going to do our best and we're going to take it away. Um, I did the research for this week, so I'm going to be teaching Brad as we go along. Um, but he's going to give us our at a glance look at what Afghanistan is. So the current president of Afghanistan is Mohammed Ashraf Ghani, as mods. Ahmad Zai, I think it's pronounced. Um, But he just goes by Ashraf Ghani. This will be a common occurrence. (laughs) For more flubs, stay tuned. (laughs) The capital of Afghanistan is Kabul. Uh, The languages spoken there are Pashto and Dari. Dari is a version of Farsi slash Persian. They sound very similar, almost the same. Major ethnic groups within the country are the Pashtun ethnic group with around 40% of the population. Tajik was around 33% of the populace. The Hazara... Hazara. Hazara, which is around 9%. Uzbek mirroring that with another 9%. And then, of course, like most countries, various other diverse minority groups. Um, the major religion is 99% Islam, with, 99, with 90% of that 99% being of the Sunni, and the remaining are the Shia. The population is 34.6 million people. And then I'm going to give it over to Kiki now to talk to you about the flag of Afghanistan. So the flag of Afghanistan is Afghanistan. Excuse me. It's going to happen a lot. We Good catch, you. Kiki. <laughs> um, so it's red, green, and black with the emblem of Afghanistan in white 
before those colors. Um, the most recent change to this flag was actually in 2013, so it's pretty recent. It made the emblem much bigger on the flag, so it didn't just occupy the middle space. It occupied more of the full compass of the flag. Um, so the black, so it, excuse me, should be noted that the um, colors are the pan-Arab colors. So these are very common in countries in the Middle East, the same colors, but from what I understand, they represent different things to each individual country not only in the Arab sphere, but in the individual histories of those countries. So the black and the Afghanistan knee flag um, represents how the country was a protected state from the British Empire. We're going to get into that a little bit later. Mm -hmm. the, the red represents the bloodshed in the fight for independence, and the green represents the hope and prosperity in the future. The national emblem, which is in white usually on the, on the center, is a mosque with two Afghan flags wreathed in sheaves of wheat, with the Shahada at the top and the year of independence from the British in the bottom in Hijri underneath. So we're going to get into our timeline of historical events. You may think it was a bold move to choose a country with an ancient history for our first one, but I feel like every country has a history that stretches pretty far back. So this is basically going to be run for the course in terms of, of how we're going to be doing this. So. The known history of Afghanistan as we know it dates back to like 3000 to 2000 BCE. Um, it became kind of a hub in the ancient world in Asia on the Silk Road uh, and Kabul was established as a city between 2000 and 1500 BCE. And 550 to 331 BCE, it was subject to rule under the Achaemen Achaemenid dynasty, which is the first Persian rule. We told you to be wary of our names. We're trying our hardest. Um, and then in 500 was conquered by King Darius I. I'm not going to say dates for all of this, but they will be available on our blog. I think it'll just take a lot of time for me to get those out. Yeah, show notes will have a lot of good details and a lot more. Also, like, links to the research and other sources. Yeah, we can back this up. We're not just making it up as we go along. Um, <laughs> it was invaded by Alexander the Great, and at that time there was a great influx of Hellenistic art and culture. Mm -hmm. uh, King Asoka introduced Buddhism to the region. Um, and then, and actually this is a significant date, so I will say it, okay. in uh, 150 BCE to 300 CE, five tribes merged together to create the Kushan Empire. And that rule of the empire overlaps with the Persian Sasanian Empire. Uh, and then shit really hit the fan when the Heptalites, or mm -hmm. <laughs> the White Huns, invaded, and they basically destroyed everything good that was going on in there. So when they had to basically start from scratch, um, which actually turns out to the next age of Af Afghan history as we know it, um, which is the rise of Islam. As you may know, in 570, the Prophet Muhammad was born. Um, and then in 642 to 652, the Arabs basically started to introduce Islam to the region. And they renamed it Khurasan, which just means the East or the Orient, or very literally uh, sunrise. That's awesome. So that's uh, what they know about it. And then the Muslim people basically just kind of run the show. Muslim dynasties take over and they do really good for things for the region. Afghanistan becomes the center of Islamic power and civilization. Um, and then... Bam, bam, bam! Genghis <laughs> Khan comes in and ruins everything again uh, in 1219. But they had like a thousand, rule, a thousand years where things were going pretty well. Um... In 1370 to 1506, uh, the Mongol emperor Timur Ilang, he didn't do that for 200 years, but the Mongols uh, basically bring around <laughs> the Timurid Renaissance, which is Afghanistan's 
excuse me, Afghanistan's golden age. This is actually happening concurrently with the European Renaissance. And in this time, we see a huge growth in architecture, a renewed interest in Persian art, math and astronomy really get a good kick. <laughs> they, they really grow them. Um, and they become masters of firearms in this time. So it actually did really will be interesting in the future to see how the Timurid Renaissance in Afghanistan correlates to the European Renaissance, especially in Italy, because of those trade routes and how they are influenced through the tooth then. Totally, like a Western perspective on the like the Renaissance totally overshadows the Islamic Golden Age, all the different mathematics and stuff that we take for granted now, like the Spanish and the Reconquista and stuff kind of like gave that a bad rep, but we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to it, we promise. Uh, then in 1506, Babur founds the Mughal dynasty, conquers Afghanistan and northern India, and then the country is split between the Mughal and Safavid empires. Uh, then in 1722, the Afghans invade Persia, overthrow the Safavid, Safavid empire. No one saw it coming. No, <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, and then, only what, 14 years later, Nadir becomes a shot, expels the Afghans from the empire, and then when Nadir is assassinated, Ahmad Shah Abduli, who is later called Ahmad Shah Durrani, established what we know now as modern Afghanistan and the Sadozi Durrani dynasty. He's considered the father of Afghanistan, and after this point we really see the country as we know it take shape. Uh, in 1795, the Persians invade. We see a lot of internal conflicts going on. There's a civil war. Um, there's a war against Persia. Um, but then, I think Dost Muhammad Khan just wraps shit up. He's done with it. He <laughs> oh, takes boy. control. And he's like, no, this is how it's going to be. He's not here for our shit anymore. <laughs> um, then that, was, that happened between 1826 and 1839. But then in 1839, British troops invade because of fucking <laughs> course they do. I'll never have to go to an explicit podcast. Uh, and for this, an unbleached version, <laughs> we have to go online. <laughs> All right, and this begins the first Anglo-Afghan war. There's going to be three, just so you know. Uh, the British appoint Shah Shuja as king, but spoiler alert, he is killed by the Afghans. Um, and then Dost Muhammad Khan, who was exiled, who is our friend who doesn't take anybody's shit, if you'll remember. Dude, don't call it a comeback. <laughs> comes back <laughs> and retakes his throne. Uh, and then he dies in 1868. So we had a, he had a pretty good time back on that throne. And then his yeah, son wow. takes the throne from him. Um, in 1872, the northern border, which is very similar to what we know now, is established by the British and the Russians. Who were well equipped to make border decisions for these people. And Brad, get this. In 1878 to 1880, Second Anglo-Afghan uh, War. I did you not saw see it coming. No, you, I told you. You're not, you <laughs> I wasn't be prepared. On your, on your toes for those British. <laughs> They're always on your borders, I guess. <laughs> Heavens. Um, so after the war, um, Abdur Rahman Khan begins his reign. Uh, it's an 11 year, or 21 year reign, excuse me. In 1888, <laughs> that's how we say dates here, <laughs> on the western border with Persia is finalized. And in 1893, Abdur Rahman signs the Durand Line Agreement about the border that divides Afghanistan with northern India. This creates a ton of issues that will come up later um, and actually still kind of cause problems today. Uh, and then in 1901, we see the, the reign of Habibullah Khan. Um, and then 
when we get into our modern history and what we know now, we'll see like a lot of things. It gets very dense with how we record things, but yeah. this is the, the quickest rundown I could come up with. The highlights, really. Yeah, really. So Afghanistan stays neutral in World War One. They don't want any part of our bullshit. <laughs> um, in 1919, Brad, you did see it coming. The final, the final Anglo-Afghan war. Air horns again. And they declare independence from the British Empire after this. They're like, fucking stop it. Three strikes <laughs> and you're out, Britain. Three strikes and you're out. Um, so they become an independent country at this time. And then King Amunola proclaim, proclaims the first constitution for the country in 1923. In 1926, they sign a non-aggression treaty with the Soviet Union. I feel like we'll know how that turns out. Spoilers, Kiki. Uh, my bad. In 1927, <laughs> they introduced the first currency, which is the Afghani. Mm-hmm. In 1929... Another civil war. These people need a break. <laughs> That's like, need some time. In 1931, Nadir Shah signs a new constitution. Uh, and then two years later, the reign of King Muhammad Zahir reigns for 40 years after this. So he starts wow. a nice long reign at this time. And we think maybe things will turn around. That seems stable. Um, Afghanistan joins the League of Nations. Excuse me. Afghanistan joins the League of Nations in 1934. Get this, they stay neutral in World War II, still staying out of it. 1946, they join the UN. Um, Shah Mahmud becomes the prime minister in Afghanistan. Afghanistan? <laughs> what country is that? <laughs> Afghanistan enjoys like a brief period um, of liberalism. Wow. There's a whole bunch of like new newspapers, new student groups that are getting really involved and active, new oppositional political parties form. Um, and there's a lot of demand for reforms that are happening. So this is a great period of growth where people really are mm-hmm. starting to change the country as they know it. Uh, but in 1952, that shit is shut down. <laughs> um, 1953, they get a new prime minister, Mohammed Dawood Khan. Dawood, yeah. Um, he earned, improves education, women's rights, and the economy in this time. So it is actually like... A pretty sweet time to well be done, an Afghani person. In 54 to 55, things start to bubble up in the Soviet Union and the military, where there's some talks about military trade and developmental things. Um, so we'll see that come to fruition a little bit later, but this is kind of where it begins. The modern era kind of begins here, I guess, for what we would consider like political modern events. Uh, in 59, the burqa becomes optional for women, probably tied into that women's rights thing and women being able to express themselves more. In 63, they get a new prime minister, Yusuf. 1964, a new constitution. 1965, Yusuf is replaced by Hasim Mawandwal. Uh, and there's a lot of student protests that actually went into making that happen too. Go students. <laughs> uh, and women are allowed to vote for the first time. Uh, and then in the next, in the coming years, there's quite a few prime minister changes. Uh, but then, womp, womp, in <laughs> 1973, the king is overthrown and exiled, and Prime Minister Mohammad Duwad, not the first one, but the second one, uh, declared Afghanistan, I believe it's the second one. I can't back that up yet. But anyway, Afghanistan is now a republic. In 77, Duwad advocates for a new constitution, a one party system. Huh. 78. Killed by communists. And the Sour Revolution occurs. Noor Mohammed Taraki, that's his name, becomes the new head of state. 1979, only a year later, he's killed. And the Soviet Union invades and it starts the 10-year Soviet-Afghan War. Um, which, so, I've, which I've heard referred to as, you know, the Soviet Union's Vietnam. 
I haven't heard it referred to that, but that is interesting. Oh, we will... Things on the horizon for discussion. Put that on hold. Um, Continue, Kiki. So in 1988, Osama bin Laden founds Al-Qaeda. And then in 1989, the Soviet Union gets the fuck out of Afghanistan. And so this is like when we start to go into more of our like known history and what we know and what our parents know. In 1992, there was a collapse of the communist regime um, by the Mujahideen forces who overtake Kabul. President Najibullah steps down. The Islamic Republic of Afghanistan is established with an interim Mujahideen government led by Burhanuddin Rabbani. Uh, in 92 to 94, Afghanistan is for, fought over and ruled by competing local warlords. 94, the Islamic group known as the Taliban establishes a campaign to overthrow Afghanistan and captures the southern city of Kandahar with the assistance of Pakistan. 95, Taliban seize control of Herat. Warlord Ahmad Shad Masood wins control of Kabul. A lot of these names I do think are familiar with what we've seen in the news and like what's recently happened in the past 10 to 15 yeah. years. Especially, I've heard I've heard Rabani before, and of course I've heard Taliban before. Yeah. Um, so in the Taliban regime, which um, according to our source starts in like 96, the Taliban assassinate former President Najibullah, they seize Kabul, and they basically take over the entire country. In 98, the United States attacks Al-Qaeda training camps. 98, the U.S. Embassy in Nairobi and the Embassy in Dar es Salaam are bombed by Al-Qaeda as one of the series of U.S. Embassy bombings over the next, and, oh, excuse me, over 200 civilians are killed. Um, and then in 2000, we see uh, the USS Cole suicide bombing. So it was docked in Yemen. The event was the deadliest attack against a U.S. naval vessel since 1987. Wow. Al-Qaeda claimed responsibility. Um, and that takes us to... 2001, which we know... It's September 11th attacks, I mean... Yes, yeah, September 11th attacks. Seminal event, yeah. Um, and two planes were hijacked by terrorists, one at the World Trade Center in New York and one for the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., um, as well as, if you think, a few other planes that day um, with, I guess, somewhat unsuccessful terrorist attacks. It mm -hmm. did very well terrorize the United States. In uh, on October 7, 2001, the United States and the United Kingdom begin an aerial bombing campaign of Afghanistan under Operation Enduring Freedom um, and bomb terrorist training camps of Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. Taliban or Taliban? Pretty fuzzy on that one as well. Um, shortly thereafter, the Taliban is removed from power. And then after the, post after the Taliban era, excuse me, um, we start to see some, some bigger changes in January 2004, the Loya Jirga participants <laughs> adopt the Afghan constitution and establish a presidential form of government with important powers reserved for the National Assembly. Afghanistan is declared an Islamic Republic. Um, later that year, the first Afghan presidential election in which 8.1 million Afghans participate and elect Hamid Karzai as the president. Uh, later in 2004, he is inaugurated as the first democratically elected president of Afghanistan. Uh, president George Bush and First Lady Laura Bush at the time travel out there to visit and to see what's what's happening, and what's cooking, and what's rebuilding in Afghanistan. <laughs> I'm like, look at the damage we created. Just kidding. This isn't a political podcast. Excuse me. Um, in 2007, there's some little skirmishes happening with Pakistan. I don't mean to minimize that by saying little. Um, it's just 
part of the long history and the long, the great oil painting that is Afghanistan's history. So far we've seen skirmishes and wars be the norm instead of long areas of peace and democracy as they were trying to go for. In 2007, our boy Mohammed Zadir Shah dies in Kabul. Uh, in February 2009, President Barack Obama orders 17,000 troops to Afghanistan, and then in 2009, President Karzai is re-elected. Maybe he did something right. Maybe it's a corrupt election. Guess that depends on history. The world may never know. <laughs> the world will probably figure it out, though. <laughs> no. It's the world as we know it, Kiki. Um, in December 2009, Barack Obama triples the troop strength in Afghanistan, bringing the total American troops there to about 100,000. And then in May 2nd, 2011, Osama bin Laden is killed. Do you remember where you were when that happened, Brad? I sure do. I was in bed getting ready for a day of high school the following day, and I got a text from my older brother telling me to turn on the news, and I did so, and I was part of history at that point. Yeah, I remember it was like evening for me, and my friend Jeff sent me a text. I'm like, why is Jeff texting me? Also, why is anybody texting me? This <laughs> isn't a sad podcast either. <laughs> it's a sad podcast. Um, but that was a very significant part in American history that I think we can all remember because where we were when it happened. Uh, in November 2011, Karzai negotiates a 10-year military partnership with the United States, which allows troops to remain after 2014, um, after foreign troops had planned to leave Afghanistan. Um in January 2012, Taliban agrees peace talks with President Karzai and the U.S. government. And in February 2012, protesters and soldiers are killed in response to the burning of the Quran after U.S. officials believe Taliban prisoners were using the Quran to pass secret messages back and forth. That's not really a huge grand history thing as much as it is part of his very dense history. Um, I think it's indicative it's of the feelings, though, of the time. For sure. Um, in June 2013, the Afghan army assumes control over security forces in Afghanistan from NATO, so they're kind of taking back more of their own. Um, and in 2014, the, for the next election, the next two candidates are Abdullah Abdullah and Ashraf Ghani. Uh, due to a recount, though, the final results are delayed until September. This was in June 14, 2014. The... Individual or the Af- Afghan Independent Election Commission determines the runner to be Ashraf Ghani, who we now know is the president, thanks to Brad's introduction. Still you're, the president, um, as welcome. of this recording in 2018. In October 2014, the United States and Great Britain remove combat forces from Afghanistan. Um, in November 2014, record setting poppy cultivation totals the result of the highest totals of opium production in the country. When I started reading that, I thought it would be a, like a really positive thing, but I'm pretty sure opium maybe isn't as, <laughs> as well, great. I was thinking it was like hi- a turnaround. In hindsight, they, that may be a very bad thing, but we'll keep going. Um, so basically, taking us to today over the past four years, um, there's still a lot of struggle with the Taliban. Um, Barack Obama is no longer president, um, but in 2016, he pledged to leave 8,400 troops until December 2016. Um, and then our timeline ends about there because I was getting this out of a book which will be credited in in our blog which is called The History of Afghanistan in the Second Addiction by Meredith L. Runyon um, so basically we're going to talk in, after the break a little bit more about where Afghanistan is today um, and where that timeline takes us and where we are in the, in the greatest, grandest perspective of Afghanistan so we will catch you after the break <laughs>
so we're back from our break uh, with much better audio now. Weird how it sounds so much better. <laughs> it's crazy. It's almost like we didn't take a week in between recording the first half and the second half of the podcast. This definitely didn't happen. Uh, so anyway, now that we know a little bit about Afghanistan's history and how it kind of came to be, um, we did want to talk about what our initial thoughts were of Afghanistan before doing this recording. Yep. I mean, what we're kind of thinking now. Well, my initial impressions were kind of like, were very, inti- oh, I was very intimidated, like, okay, we got a big, we got a big hot one coming up as yeah, our first episode. We did start with a biggie yeah. off the bat, and I kind of wanted to do that, um, because I know, like, for millennials, our basic understanding of Afghanistan growing up, uh, it all kind of started around 9-11, um, yep. and for some desert storm. It's part of the Middle East, it's a scary country, they want to hurt America, um, and it kind of followed that narrative of being America's enemy. Um, yep. And in recent times, like, it's been changing, it's maybe getting better, uh, but that's always been kind of on one of those countries on the edge that is just kind of a mystery because they've been branded by the media and in our culture as an enemy state. Yep. Always in the headlines, and it's never a good headline. Um, so, but another thing I knew about Afghanistan, too, was my freshman year of high school, we had a signed reading called The Kite Runner by Khaled yep. Husseini, or Husseini. Colleague, if you're reading this, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and I did actually reread this. <laughs> Leave a review, Colleen. <laughs> um, so I read that book, and I actually read his other two books in that series, the Kite Runner series. So Thousand Splendid Sons and and the Mountains Echoed are the other two books. And that gave me a little bit more insight. Like I did feel like I understood at least a little bit more about what Afghanistan might have been like in the mm-hmm. 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, and what it was from a different perspective. So I think it's actually really important in my high school education for a book like that to challenge what I was thinking then. So I think that was the first step in wanting to understand more about Afghanistan. So it's fascinating to hear you say that, Kiki, because, I mean, how many of us knew when the, when he came off the break that that was the Afghan national anthem? Uh, there's just so much that, for a large part of my life, everything I knew about this country was through the lens of the U.S. military or, you know, scary headlines in the news, and not much of it was through, you know, my formal education, like, about the country, about the history, about its peoples. And I know you talked a lot about, in your historical review, Kiki, about, you know, that Afghanistan, like, golden age, where there was a lot of science and progress happening, and, you know, in our education system, the Renaissance is always going to take, you know, that Western civilization kind of centrism, um, and so uh, wow, this older history gets swept under to the wayside. Well, and I think it's so important, too, because, like, even, like, in our perceptions or what we've been taught about Afghanistan, it, we were given the impression that it's very backwards um, and that yep. education is stalled there. Um, so I think it's even more important to give Afghanistan the correct identity as a hub of learning and, like, one of the most important times in history for technologies that we still use today. Do you think that... Americans in general would ever have learned this much about Afghanistan had there not been a war there? I think that the war prevented that learning. And I, okay, but we, okay, we made it this podcast because we know that American geography lessons are pretty lax and we don't learn. <gasps> <laughs> I'm sorry. I know this Hot is takes a, on the a podcast. Controversial thing to say. <laughs> but I don't think that we would have learned what we did about Afghanistan. Afghanistan and the Middle East at all um, without a war, uh, but that everything that we know has been largely shaped from 
the war in Iraq and the Middle East and the war on terror. I guess that's really reinforced by the kinds of books and movies we looked up for this podcast. I mean... Yeah, I guess a lot of what other people may know, even outside of our generation, comes from um, some of the movies that you're going to list. Yeah, for example, I mean, just looking through now, I'm realizing this, like, the cultural points hit by the movies on my list that I looked up, like the documentary Restrepo about um, U.S. forces in Afghanistan, um, even, like, old, like, pop culture movies like Rambo 3. They're very, like, military war-centric. Like, Afghanistan is a place where, you know, violence happens, where there are these militants in the mountains and stuff, and that there's these large empires and... Um, the people there have to fend for themselves, and it's very, like, just, um, Also, yeah. was it Afghanistan or another Middle Eastern country in which the Decepticons in the first Transformers movie first invaded? In the first Transformers movie? Yeah, that happened in a desert somewhere. It, they did attack a military base. Um, I'm gonna Google that real quick. Alright, we're gonna get a Google, we're gonna get a confirmation on that Afghanistan Decepticons landing. Um, yeah, you just keep you keep talking while I type this in. <laughs> so we, we, we wait with bated breath for the Transformers um, confirmation. Um, another of the movies on my list was based on a book, and it's an animated film called The Breadwinner. So it was nominated for Best Animated Film at the 2017 Academy Awards. Um, it's on Netflix right now. I think, if anything, um, you know, shameless plug, you can watch that. It's not that long of a movie, but it's a really powerful, great animation. Um, it's part... It, talks about a young girl living in Kabul under the control of the Taliban. So in the past, um, hit, hits a lot of the, the major cultural points there of like living under Taliban rule. Um, the main character has to become a breadwinner for her family. Um, and it's just like really powerful storytelling, uh, beautiful animation. Um, and I think that, I mean, it's it's tragic that most of these, these films and these, these points of media they have to be like the tragic like story in Afghanistan where like loss of life happens and people rise resurgent from that. Um, I, it's, and it's definitely a product of the times. Um, what do you think, Kiki? Well, I learned that there's a lot of Transformers movies and they actually happened in Qatar, not Afghanistan. So that was a red was... herring for all of you. Oh, but I was reminded in our by... Qatar episode coming up yeah. sometime. <laughs> so in the future, um, just keep that in mind. But I was reminded of the National Geographic Pashtun Girl cover, oh, yeah, wow. which was originally titled Afghan Girl. Excuse me, Afghan Girl. I promise I'm going to get better about names, guys. Um, and so I think that was one of those things. It happened in 1984, and that was a lot of people's first real experience looking at an Afghan woman. Um, and if you guys, I mean, it's a very famous photo, most people have seen it, but it's this beautiful young girl with these striking green eyes whose real name is Sharbat Gula. Uh, she was uh, photographed at an informal school in a refugee camp uh, in 1984 and captured on camera. And they gave her some interviews like 30 years later. And she just said that she really just didn't want to have her picture taken, had it taken anyway. Uh, but it is like one of the most recognizable photos today and it is of an Afghan woman. It. It reminds me of that picture photograph from the Dust Bowl of the migrant mother yes, who's like looking over her left similar. shoulder and it's like the most intense piercing gaze. So I guess um, one of the things that we're going to, I guess, hit on more in the future of our podcast is former USSR countries and how the United States relates to them. Just Yeah, there's going to have to be some overarching discussion because when we come to the next 
country in the Middle East, be it a country that borders Afghanistan or who's heavily involved with the USSR, we're going to get into these things where the American perspective has some erasure and some revisionism built in that other perspectives may not have. And so that's going to be an overarching kind of trend. Yeah, I definitely anticipate that. So now that we've learned a little bit more about Afghanistan, what a is like, a bit more? Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of it more. Yeah. Uh, what's like your your current knowledge? How would you rate that compared to the beginning of the episode? So coming from a three out of ten, I would say now I'm I'm at a four point five or five out of ten. I think I can sit down and have an educated educated discussion about Afghanistan with or some Afghanistan or Afghanistan either both of them actually yeah <laughs> any of the <laughs> um I feel like I could hold my own with enough information to talk about it and engage not obviously not to be an expert or to pronounce any of the names correctly if you might have guessed <laughs> but yeah I think I'm getting there as far as understanding it more than just a headline or as a place where there's a war going on through America Kiki well, I forget, to be honest, what my original rating was. I think it was also a 3 out of 10. Yeah, I think I'll put mine like a half a point above where it was, because I do think well. I know more about like the technical history and the timeline of how it came to be, um, but I will not be so bold as to say like I have a complete understanding now of Afghanistan. Um, and obviously for like our first podcast, I feel that we have a lot to learn. I think that I mean, if we really take off and we get really far, I'd like to revisit Afghanistan and just redo it hmm. with whatever, when we get better at doing this, because I don't feel that we've completely done it justice. But I do feel that, like, knowing more about the actual history will be is beneficial. I really enjoyed well, it's, learning it's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to wrap up. We're back from the break with that straight fire. That's some modern music from Afghanistan. The artist is Samira Nasiri. The song is Rasar E. Ziba. Uh, all credits go to them, yeah. Yeah, we're learning um, how to podcast right now, so we're, we don't think it's illegal if it's less than 30 seconds. <laughs> you know how copyright laws work? Yeah, that's how that works. <laughs> so we're going to wrap up with some current events. Uh, Brad, what happened this week? So this week we had the nuptials of Prince Harry and one Meghan Markle. You mean the Duke and Duchess of Sussex? Now they are. They weren't before. <laughs> That's how weddings work. Did you wake up at 6 a.m. to take part in the festivities, Kiki? Uh, I sure did not. Uh, so I get, so I am, I've been following royal families for a pretty long time, and I'm just not that interested in the British royal family. Compared to the other royal families of Europe and the rest of the world, they're pretty boring. And what about the... Tame. You watched The Crown? I haven't. I've been told I should, though. You've been told by an additional person, me, that you should. <laughs> okay, maybe someday I'll watch The Crown. But I'm also pretty sure that Queen Elizabeth killed Princess Diana. And that's kind of a bomb to drop right at the end of an episode, but there's no convincing me that she was not murdered by the royal family. Well, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> it's officially news. Anyway, so, but I thought, I did see the pictures from the royal wedding. Um, I didn't like her dress. I liked it, but 
It's like the only time in my life I'll agree with Katy Perry. I think I could have used an additional fitting. I thought her veil was fire because it represented all the 53 countries of the Commonwealth, nice. which I just thought was a really nice touch and a, a way for her to really enter the royal family. Um, have you seen her official crest as Duchess of Sussex? It has, I certainly like... have. In addition to vexillology, I've also been into heraldry for a really long time. So like understanding those symbols is very cool. Um, but what were you going to say about it? Because you look like you really want to talk about no, it. No, I just, I heard some details. Like it has the California state flower on it. It's got the blue for the Pacific Ocean. I think that's neato. Yeah, I think it was nice that she's not abandoning her home country um, in the sense that some people may even expect her to. She's really embracing uh, being a dual citizen of the UK awesome. and of the United States, and especially with where she grew up in California. Also that picture of her mom just like sitting alone at the wedding, like, yes, my baby made it, like powerful stuff. Uh, that's like, and also this is Meghan Markle's second marriage too, and she's 36, so I'm like, all the single girls out there, <laughs> you can reach a solid middle age and still make it. <laughs> you have to probably look something like Meghan Markle, but you can still do it. Done, what's next? So... Ultimately, I think that from what I've seen in the pictures of the royal wedding, it was lovely. I'm glad that two formerly single people are one married couple now. If that's what makes them happy, I'm happy for them for doing it. And I guess that's kind of, that's what I think about it. But I'm excited to talk more about the royal families that I know about because there are far more skeletons in every other closet that I would like to expose. Not just suspicions of murder. So stay tuned for further episodes where we pillage more royal closets. <laughs> and, on, and on that high note, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The World As We Know It. Catch us next week for our next country, which is... South Sudan! Sudan. Um, also, please be sure to follow us on our Twitter, The World As We Know It podcast. Um, you can also find that on our blog, which is theworldaswenowitpodcast.wordpress.com. I think I may have seen it incorrectly at the beginning. But that is the correct URL, and you'll be able to find all of our resources and some of our commentaries and basically full summaries of our episodes there. So following another episode, Khadafez, Kiki. Khadafez, Brad. And that's goodbye from us at the World As We Know It podcast. <laughs>